Hey friends, and welcome to this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a counterterrorism professional turned career coach, speaker, and Forbes blogger, and I created the U-Turn Podcast because, let's face it, every now and again, we realize that we're living life on autopilot, and it's time to wake up and make that U-Turn in your life. So prepare to go deep with some of the most transformational people I know, here to help you grow and upgrade your mindset, whether it's in work or love. In the meantime, we've opened up access to three free e-courses on uturnpodcast.com. So head on over there if you want to land a new job you love, find your purpose, or launch your dream business. All of these courses are totally free. All you got to do is head on over to uturnpodcast.com. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com. Now let's get started with this week's guest. I think the first thing is feel your feelings. A lot of people, there's this myth that grief is going to go away with time, and that's not true. You really have to take the time to feel what's coming up, and the more you push it down, the more it's just going to bubble up and show up later. Mm -hmm. So allowing yourself to just, whatever's coming up, it's going to come up as a wave and it's going to pass, Mm -hmm. and giving yourself that time and that care to just be with it, whatever it is, and and not resist it, because I think the resistance just makes everything worse. And you're like you feel it in your body you feel yourself pushing this thing down and that creates so much tension with the thing that's trying to come up hey u-turners it's ash here and i am on the podcast today with probably what's going to be my favorite episode because it's with my very <laughs> best friend Nick. Um, this is Nicole Nowpavar. She is a licensed uh, psychotherapist, what I call it, Nick. Yeah, exactly. In uh, Los Angeles, she has clients all over the world. She does therapy, she does coaching, and she does a lot of things. She also runs a large organization called Haya, which she started, um, and it's spelled C-H-A-Y-A. She started completely on her own and has been growing, and now she has multiple events per month for Jewish-Iranian women. And then, of course, there's me, the token white person who is (laughs) crashing the events. (laughs) (laughs) and standing out in a big way. And I wanted to talk to her today because both of us, uh, one fun fact that you will learn right now is that we're both (laughs) runaway brides. We both called off our wives. (laughs) (laughs) So Nick, uh, thank you for coming on to the show. I love you, Ash. Thanks for having me. And I'm so grateful to be here and just get to chat with my best friend and hopefully impart some light onto everybody else. Yeah, you definitely do it for me. I feel like um, Nick and I have like some dual personalities. We call like, I call one of hers like crazy (laughs) Nick and she's called one of mine crazy Ash. And we just share like the, we are friends that can share these different parts of ourselves in service to releasing, healing, growing. And I know a lot of you maybe listening don't have that friend or want to have that kind of friend that you can share everything with in hopes that you can grow or um, feel lighter in your life. And um, Nick, I would love to start for everybody. It's so funny for me to ask you your story because I'm like, I fucking know your story. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But can you share with everybody um, a little bit about your story of like what happened for you in the process of calling off your wedding, but also learning how to step into your greatness and not be playing so small? Yeah, absolutely. So I was in a relationship with someone for about six years. And, you know, a couple years in, I was ready to get married and 
sort of move on to the next steps of life and was so excited for it and he needed more time and in the in that time we talked a lot about what kind of relationship we want to have and what kind of life we want to have and uh we talked about money and time and kids and everything and we finally got engaged and a couple months before the wedding i received a very one-sided prenuptial agreement and there was no room for negotiation and it was suddenly a condition of getting married so it was very tough. It was a really hard time. You were there for me every step of the way, and I'm so grateful. But I think what I learned in just sort of like, I just, in that moment, I realized that I had to step out of my smallness and into my greatness. And it's been a learning process and a growth ever since. And I'm very grateful for that. And do you want me to share a little bit about just what were some of the things that shifted for me or yeah. that I had to shift? Yeah, I also think like I don't know if you're like if you're open for this, Nick. I think a lot of women listening right now don't understand prenups or mm. they're afraid of it. Like what yeah. are a few things that you can impart to everybody because you became like a legal expert by the end of <laughs> getting thrown a prenup last minute, you know? Yeah, totally. You know, I, I'm not against them. I think there are certain things that really work for people and there are certain terms that could really serve a relationship. Um, but I think a huge part of a prenup is how it's presented and what behaviors come out as a result of its presentation. So for example, like if it's something that's being talked about earlier on in a relationship, that's gonna serve the dynamic and the, I think the trust more than if it's something that comes up a month before or two months before a wedding. Also just, I think the energy around it can sometimes create a sense of why are we talking about divorce? Why are we talking about things not working out? And that could be really difficult to be in, but also just keeping in mind that it doesn't have to be about separation. It can be about teamwork and coming together and really also showing each other how much you want to make this work. Um, yeah. If both sides are willing to turn towards each other and meet each other. Mm -hmm. And I know that you know, for a lot of the years that you were in that partnership, Nick, like regardless of what kind of person he was or wasn't the person that you were being like, it started off really well as a relationship and then yeah. something shifted and you were in so much more smallness than what I know you to have and be, I guess, I think some women are probably listening and they're like, what is it? They don't even know what it looks like when they're in their smallness, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What totally. do you think are some indicators for people who might want to check in with that? Yeah, so I see this in my practice as well. When I'm with sitting with a client, there are a lot of different things that I noticed not only in myself, but in some of my friendships and with my clients. The first one is identifying. It's It becomes, when you're in your smallness, it becomes very difficult to identify what it is that you need and want. Um, and so it gets harder to sort of access what your desires are, what your wants are, what your likes are, what your dislikes are. And I think that's a result of sort of denial and a long pattern of just like not wanting to address what's important to you in order to keep the relationship alive. And another one is just, it's even if like you are able to identify what you need or what you want, another sign is that you don't say it. So it's like actually acting on it and honoring it. And by doing that, I think the way that I see it is you start negotiating with your non-negotiables. So for example, like if a non-negotiable for you is 
that you want to live in Los Angeles, but your partner wants to live in New York, then you're going to have problems with, you know, how are we going to manage this? And so negotiating with your non-negotiables is like, oh, well, maybe like I can live in New York six months out of the year, or maybe I can. And it, it feels very like you're compromising and you want to make the relationship work, but deep down, you know, it's a no, like you can feel it in your body that this is like not aligned with you. So I would say that's another sign. And the third sign is like not showing up in the, in the world the way that you want. So, you know, when we're in our smallness, we're showing up, it leaks out in other ways. So it can show up as an anger outburst or anxiety or sadness or physical health, just like being sick or getting into an accident or just like very quiet resentment. And I imagine that hopefully a lot of us want to show up with ease and joy and alignment and, you know, feeling calm and just like overflowing with love. So when you're not in that, it's like, why am I not, why am I not showing up the way I want to? And it might be connected to a part of you that's playing small. Yeah. It's, it's almost like, and I think we both noticed this, Nick, is like when your wick is kind of shorter, like you're just overworked or you're tired or you're doing something you don't want to do. It's like you become shorter or snap snippety. And it's like, people don't even notice that when they feel that way, it's, it's feedback. Like you're at a maximum, you're doing too much of what you don't want to do, stuff like that. But also Mm -hmm. What was the point before you had shared um, about like attitude or resentment? There was something else you had just said, Nick. What was it? The last point that you made? Negotiating with your non-negotiables. Yeah. So I think some people right now, even though, you know, we're connected to our body and I know some of you listened to the more recent TED talk I did about how we have 200 million neurons in our gut, which is our second brain. And that's why when we have anxiety or whatever feeling, our body is actually giving us direct feedback. But a lot of people aren't connected or tuning into that. Mm -hmm. And Mm so I I wanted to talk, Nick, about like, how do people know when it is a non-negotiable truly beyond their body? Because in my case and in your case, it kept coming up as an issue. You, we just couldn't get resolution. It was like, we thought we were fine with it, but then we bring it up or we'd be upset about it, whatever the thing was again. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about like, what, what did you find to be non-negotiables for you that you're comfortable sharing? Um, that just never, like you, what was that moment that you were like, oh, this is not negotiable and I didn't know? until now? Um, yeah. So I think, in, are you asking sort of like in regards to a prenup or just like a relationship? Just the in relationship general? in general. Yeah. Okay. So I think a big one was being yelled at, yeah. like screaming, being called names, being controlled and like wanting the person wanting you to like dress a certain way or look a certain way, or, you know, um, take on a certain role in the household that like just is not what you imagined you wanting to be. Mm-hmm. Um, these are some things or sort of like someone who, if like they're constantly picking their family of origin over the relationship and sort of feeling like you're coming last. For me, these were things that I was like, these are non-negotiables. I can't do this. Like I'm going to go crazy. Yeah. Um, so I had to, you know, it was very clear that it wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. And I remember, Nick, the morning that you emailed all of your wedding guests, how many were there that were scheduled to come? Yeah, there were 400 people. I'm Persian and I'm Jewish, so it's like our weddings are 
ginormous. Yeah. And, and for those of you who don't know, like fun fact about a third of the guest list becomes crashers in this culture. (laughs) And I've learned this through watching and it's actually crazy. Like they will get on airplanes, book tickets and crash. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. so you're probably accounting for even more than those 400. Nick, what, what went through your mind the morning that you decided, because it was what, like two months before the wedding, one month before the wedding. Uh, we broke up a month before the wedding, yeah. Yeah, and the prenup came just a few months before that, so it was really unexpected, I remember. What was um, going through your mind when you finally chose to write that email to all 400 guests and, mm-hmm. le- and let them know? Because I think people know what's true for them sometimes, but like they're not yet at that point where they walk into that bridge of reality and like take the action that really makes it known and makes it complete. So what has that been for you? What was it like to just come to the conclusion that this is over and send that email? Mean, yeah, I think, you know, there was, this is also something I wanted to mention today on our, on our, you know, chat as well, that there was relief, there was sadness, there was anxiety, there was um, acceptance, there were so many contradictory feelings that I was having all at the same time. And I remember you telling me this, that it's okay. Like dichotomies exist when you're, especially when you're going through a breakup and, um, it doesn't always make sense, but you're all of it and you're none of it at the same time. Yeah. And so it was, it was a a very big mix of feelings, but I think the one that was the most present for me was just like this wave of relief of like, I, I feel very complete that I made the right decision. Mm -hmm. I did everything that I could to make this work and it still isn't working. So I, I rest assured that this is the right choice for me. Mm -hmm. And what are some indicators in your, um, world that maybe with your friendships, um, Mm -hmm. that you've outgrown somebody or that something doesn't make sense for you anymore? Because I think what I've watched happen for you, Nick, is like, you got this clarity, like you needed to call off the wedding. You and I went to your non-bachelorette party that week, (laughs) which I mean, those of you can only imagine like having a bachelorette party that suddenly you're no longer celebrating a wedding. Yeah. And you were, you're a fucking star, Nick. Like you cried when you had to cry and then you had fun when you could have fun. Um, what do you think was huge as far as like allowing yourself to heal, like allowing the grief? Because I think a lot of people just don't make these decisions because they don't want to deal with the ramifications that come with it. And for you, it looked like having a bachelorette party that wasn't a bachelorette party and notifying 400 people and just so much shame and guilt and grief. So how did you navigate that? I think the first thing is feel your feelings. A lot of people, there's this myth that grief is going to go away with time. And that's not true. You really have to take the time to feel what's coming up. And the more you push it down, the more it's just going to bubble up and show up later. Mm-hmm. So allowing yourself to just whatever's coming up, it's going to come up as a wave and it's going to pass. Mm-hmm. And giving yourself that time and that care to just be with it whatever it is and and not resist it. Cause I think the resistance just makes everything worse in your, like you feel it in your body. You feel yourself pushing this thing down and that creates so much tension with the thing that's trying to come up. Mm-hmm. So that was a big one. And also I th- as far as that trip goes, just like being around people who are really supportive and safe and trustworthy and, you know, model a lot of the things that you want moving forward 
um, and that you maybe want to embody in yourself, especially if you're in your smallness at the point of a breakup. Like, you, there's a lot of questions around who do I want to be and how do I want to show up next? And so it was really beautiful, despite being a really hard time to have friendships and be surrounded by women that I admired and was so grateful to have in my corner. Mm-hmm. You know, and we ended up, I, I remember just um, being with you on nights that you were just in complete devastation. And I know that maybe some women who are listening now are engaged or they are thinking about marrying their partner. But yeah. there's also another side in their heart that feels like maybe this isn't right. Mm-hmm. If you could connect to that listener right now who is deep down on the fence, what is some feedback you can give them or insights that you would hope they would consider before they take the plunge? I would ask them to maybe write down who it is that they want to be and how they want to show up in this world and how they want to feel in their bodies. So if you want to be the type of person that's, you know, calm and centered and fun and sexy and smart, then then go through that list and then think about what kind of person is it that you would need to be with in order to be supported in showing up as that version of yourself. So if that's not happening in your relationship, then having the conversation with your partner moving forward of like, hey, these are like some things that I want to feel in the relationship more and this is what I need or what I want from you. Um, Can you meet me on that? you know, Mm -hmm. because you're with yourself from the only relationship that you have from the day that you're born to the day that you die is you. And so you hopefully want to feel good about how it's sitting to be in your body and how you're showing up in the world. Everybody else is going to come and go. Yeah. Another thing, Nick, that you have learned really well is around boundaries. And (laughs) you didn't have as many when we first met. And and fun fact, guys, we met outside of a nightclub. We couldn't get in almost, (laughs) almost 10 years ago, like eight years ago now. Yeah. Um, best friends ever since. But (laughs) Nick, like I remember you were so in the culture because I understand that, you know, every culture is different. Every culture has different people in it and different standards in it. But what I will say as a whole that I've learned is that, um, the Persian culture from what I've watched is a collective culture that they value the collective versus the individual, whereas American culture values the individual. And so to me, as your everyday white girl growing up in LA, (laughs) it looks like me asserting myself saying, this is what I want. And I'm not responsible to, for, to, you know, to not do this thing I want to do so that so-and-so and my family can be happy. Whereas in your culture, sometimes it's fair to hear somebody say, I'm not doing this because it's going to make somebody else happy. So how have you found a sense of self? Because I think right now you're more integrated and you're still in the transformation in some ways, uh, just like everybody is, um, but you feel more integrated than you've ever been. And it's also looking like a lot of loss for you. Like, Mm -hmm. so can you talk a little bit about boundaries and your, your, the losses that may come in exchange for those wins? Yeah, for sure. So 
if you come from a collectivistic background, if you're listening and you're coming from, you know, anywhere in the Middle East or anywhere in Asia or just this whole region of East, like just Eastern culture in general is very collectivistic. And we are constantly, are very lucky to be growing up in this country. Um, but a lot of times we feel very conflicted because we are, we grew up in a home that values the collective and then we left the home and we realized that everybody else is valuing the individual. So how do you balance that? How do you know which one to pick? And I think the first step is just awareness of the fact that these dichotomies exist and these conflicts exist, and then deciding for yourself outside of these two cultures, what feels right for me? What is the truth for me? How do I want to show up despite these cultures? And so as far as that goes, you know, I would, I would respond with that. Yeah. Um, Remind me the second part of your question. Just like also about some losses that you've gone right. through. What does it I, look like? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's really hard. I think, you know, when you're setting boundaries, there is, there's a lot, there can be a lot of fear of like, am I going to lose my friendships? Am I going to disappoint my parents? Am I gonna, you know, is my relationship with this guy going to end if I tell him that I, I need him to hug me when we're in the middle of an argument or that I need him to show up for me more when we go to, you know, out with my friends, um, you know, whatever it is. And it could be something like that. It could be as heavy or even more as serious as like you telling the guy that you're dating that like, Hey, this is the number of kids that I want to have. Um, so it, it can really range, but I think in the process of, setting your boundaries there's so much grief and so much loss of like yeah some of your friends can't hold the space they don't they don't want to they they are used to you showing up a certain way and then you change and it's like well why did you change why are you being different and i think what's been really beautiful about our friendship ash and i hope this you know is a reality or something to strive for in other friendships as well is that we've always been very good about holding space for each other's individual needs and almost sort of like selling celebrating each other when we do like hell yeah like go do that thing that you need to do i understand i want you to have that and i support you and i know when it's like when it's time we'll make time again for each other Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting too because um, we've also when I just kind of look at friendship and like speaking up and boundaries, there have been times where like you're not happy with something I'm doing, I'm not happy with something you're doing, and I think yeah. the biggest thing we provided each other is like emotional safety to say the thing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people listening, one of the top questions I've been getting is around friendship, which hasn't necessarily surprised me, but I just didn't think it would be the top question, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I know that with all of these boundaries comes loss. So how are you navigating, you know, because even though there's gains with any boundary, there's always loss too. So what are, what are you experiencing when you start to look at friendships you have and you're starting to notice like, oh, wow, if I start to assert myself or ask for what I want, this friendship doesn't work anymore. Like, what okay. are some um, pieces of feedback or things that you're seeing as part of it, like people, people's comments or what are you going through as you're growing and releasing the attachment to what people think? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's always coming up even this week. I'm like going through so many changes and I'm feeling the need to set more boundaries and more boundaries. And, um, one of the exercises that I've been doing is writing down all of the assumptions that I have 
all the negative assumptions that I have if I don't like if I uphold these boundaries. So for example, like I'm, like I said, like I'm gonna, my parents are going to feel abandoned by me or my friends are going to feel like they're losing me or my, you know, my board members for my organization are going to feel uninspired to want to work with me just, or my productivity is going to go down if I start to honor myself more. Um, and then I ask myself, okay, so these are all of my assumptions. What do I want my relationship to be like with these assumptions? And the, you know, the answer that I came up with was that I, I want to challenge them. Mm. And so I'm watching this week just like how a lot of these things are not true and they're made up. And as I'm setting these boundaries, some people have definitely been like, wow, I want to, I'm more attracted to you because you're setting these boundaries or I, you know, completely understand and go do your thing or um, my productivity is higher because I'm giving myself the self-care that I need in order to show up in an inspiring way at work. Mm -hmm. So just challenging those beliefs has been really helpful. Okay, so I want to ask you, Nick, also about this concept of codependency, because I know a lot of people listening (laughs) don't know what it is. And I was just reading yesterday that 7 million American women are depressed, and 40 million Americans, primarily women, are labeled as codependent. So, Mm. you know, with a a population of around 300 million, that's quite a chunk of people who are in codependency. Can you kind of share how you relate to what codependency is and so that maybe somebody listening could kind of identify with it if they're in that camp? Sure. So the way that I would define it is that sort of it becomes very difficult to know where yourself begins and ends and where other people begin and end. So it becomes very mucky around um, you sort of start to take on other people's likes and wants and dislikes and needs and experiences and behaviors, and you try to manage all of those things as if you control them mm-hmm. um, and vice versa. They, they, do the, they do the same maybe or maybe not with you, and that's sort of like this codependent relationship. I'm actually curious to know how you would define it also. Yeah, I think I see it as um, doing something or not doing something to prevent someone else from having certain feelings or experiences about it. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm going to go to the grocery store so that they're not mad at me. I'm going to invite this person so that they feel included versus Mm -hmm. I want to invite this person or I'm happy to go to the store. I feel like it's mm-hmm. living your life in a way where you're, um, it's like a sense of control where you're wanting to prevent yourself from having to experience other people or for preventing other people from having a reaction towards you. So totally. when, when I think of the codependent person, I think of the person that is just constantly doing things with their time and their lives. And some are not constant. It's just like a small thing in their life that it keeps them um, from listening to themselves and it just keeps them in this cycle of living for other people and other people's needs. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and just using it every day. But if that's not in the cards for you this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by more than 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. 
Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations. And since I personally haven't been in France for a while, I love to hop on to Babbel for a few minutes every day and just keep my French up to par. Babbel even helps me with my accent, my pronunciation, so that on my next trip, I'll feel confident stepping off the plane, ready to chat with anyone. Here's a special from Babbel limited time deal for our listeners right now to get 55% off your subscription, but only for the U-Turn community at babbel.com slash U-Turn. So you can get 55% off at B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N. Rules and restrictions may apply. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is just here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, they give you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the entire United States, and they are the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support you and your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash U-turn. Go to shopify.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y.com slash U-turn. Hey, U-Turn friends, it's Ash here, and I've got to admit, my closet has been incredibly crammed with a lot of clothes, but nothing to wear. The solution? I decided to donate a ton of them and turned to Quince. They are the upgrade for high-quality, affordable pieces. Now I have a wardrobe of luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next. And the best part? I stayed on budget. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I just love them. I recently got the Italian pebbled leather crossbody bag, and it is the perfect size for a purse when I'm out, on a date night, traveling light, or just don't want anything bulky weighing me down. I really love what they're doing. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash U-turn for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to get free shipping and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash U-turn. 
sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to uturnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. What would you say are some signs that you might be codependent? Such a good one. I know. I'm thinking about it as I'm asking it to you. I'm like, well, what the fuck are the signs? But I can, I mean, I think a big one is passive aggressive behavior. If you, if you and your partner are constantly trying to guess and meet each other's needs without talking about it, then some like the expectations are not clear and sometimes as a result there can be passive aggressive you know back and forth um so for example like if i if i decide that i want to go out with my boyfriend instead of you know my family and my parents are like oh i get it like you're just gonna you're dishing us that's like a passive aggressive way of saying like why aren't you spending time with us so that we're okay? Um, mm-hmm. Why aren't you spending time with us so that we aren't upset? That's the key um, right there, Nick, the idea of so that we're okay. Why? why yeah. can't, I'm going to do this so that they're okay. And I also know that there's this idea, though, Nick, that we should be generous and care about the people in our lives. So sure. how do you kind of distinguish between being a generous, giving person and abandoning yourself? Um, I think you have to see how it feels in your body. And I think you and I have talked about this. So if you're feeling like constriction in your body, when you think about how, like doing something for somebody else, then it's probably coming from a fear place or a codependent place versus if you're doing something out of, um, a sense of like expansiveness and love and ease and flow in your body, then it's coming from your truth and it's aligned with you as well. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And also I think another lens of it and probably the easiest way to see codependency is like through children of alcoholics, like, Mm -hmm. or if you're in a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Can you paint a picture of that, Nick? Like what does it look like when you, maybe you have a partner that has a drug issue or alcohol issue and there's codependency? Sure. So if you have a problem, or if you have a partner with, um, you know, who's struggling with, um, you know, alcoholism. So one of the ways that it could show up is typically when someone is moving through addiction, um, they're neglecting the, you know, different areas of their life in order to make sure that they're getting their fix or, um, you know, their performance in other areas of their life is going down. So uh, a codependent partner might pick up those pieces and be like, you know what, I'm going to make sure that the laundry gets done. And I'm going to make sure that I clean up the mess that he's made. And I'm going to make sure that, you know, the apartment is clean. And I'm not going to tell him that it's his responsibility for making this mess, because that's going to just, that's going to create confrontation. And I don't want to have to really the the core of it is like, you don't want to set the boundary. Mm. Um, so as a result, the person is reinforced, the alcoholic is reinforced for those behaviors and they continue to do those behaviors because their partner is cleaning up the mess for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's basically like a lack of 
it's like a lack of responsibility. Um, I think when we engage in codependent behaviors, we're not allowing our friends or our parents or our partners or, you know, our colleagues to um, take responsibility and accountability for their part. For me, in my relationship, what it looked like was um, my partner would, you know, my partner would tell me, I just want you to be happy. Why aren't you happy? And I would say, because I'm not getting met on what I need in this relationship. And he would say, that's, you know, that's, I can't do that for you right now. And be like, okay, okay, you're right. I just need to manage my own anxiety around this, or I need to um, convince myself that I, I'm okay with this where it's at. So it's like not it's like it can look like a lack of accountability on one partner's end and an over accountability on the other partner's end. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I also want to circle back to this idea. I remember when I was thinking about calling off my wedding, um, I w- I'll never forget, Nick, and I don't know if I've mentioned this to you in a minute, but we were walking out of, um, I think it was like a Nordstrom in Santa Monica, like five years ago or something. And I was saying to you, like, what did I say? I said something like, you know, this little whisper in my head Mm. won't stop. And you said, no, it sounds a little more like a scream. Mm -hmm. And I never forgot you saying that because I was like, yeah, she's right. Like, this is not a little whisper. And I think a lot of people who hear like a whisper in their mind or in their heart about something don't want to believe that it's really a scream, you know? So, I would love to learn from you, Nick, like, how do you connect to that voice inside of you that is so wise and gives you so much information? Because I think everybody has different practices. Um, and I know that you are very clear on kind of like how you navigate when you need some time to think. Yeah, I would. I think the first thing is like slowing down. I think it's so easy to hear that voice and you're in a rush or you're living your life and you're doing your day to day and you're like, eh, it's nothing, whatever, I'm just going to move on. Um, but then it, it'll keep coming back and keep coming back and it'll get louder and louder and louder until you kind of have to deal with it. Um, so if you're hearing these little whispers here and there, slow down and give them a voice. And what I mean by that is one way to do that is again, like journaling, writing down what the voice is saying it is, is saying and just putting it on paper and without sort of allowing yourself and giving yourself permission to just let whatever comes up on the paper come up. Mm -hmm. Um, instead of trying to manage it or judge it or shame it, you know, letting it just be there and then asking yourself, like, what do I need? What does this voice need in order to feel safe or met? Mm -hmm. Um, and following up with that and then giving it to yourself or asking for it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just, um, I hadn't mentioned to you, Nick, today when we were catching up, I just started meditating again and, Mm -hmm. It's been so good, you know, just giving myself 20 minutes and having one mantra and sitting in complete silence and just um, creating the space because I think a lot of people just, they don't realize that like if you're not slowing down and creating space, like creative thoughts can't come through, like you're you're too busy Mm -hmm. doing. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, there was a there was a study actually that just it's called the Good Samaritan study where basically people who are in a rush are less likely to notice somebody who's in need, um, but they're also less likely to notice something that's inspiring. So slowing down is it's so important. Yeah, and, and I know that it's it, it, it's sometimes the answer to slowing down is just 
fucking slowing down, you know, (laughs) but like, is there a way that, is there something that you do? And I know it's ironic to ask what you're doing so that you can be, but is there something that you do to allow yourself to get back into that state of awareness and slowness? Yeah. So what I do, and there are a lot of different things that you can do, but what I, what has worked best for me and it's worked really well with my clients as, as well is if you're new to sort of building this voice and exercising this muscle in your body of honoring what's coming up for you, um, putting a timer on your phone, like once a day or once an hour of, you know, what do I need? Asking yourself once an hour, what do I need? And then giving it to yourself because the more that you honor this voice, the louder it gets, the easier it gets to honor it. It starts to become just like a very easy conversation instead of this thought that pops up once in a while and then disappears and then comes back and gets louder and louder every time. Mm-hmm. And um, Nick, for anybody listening who wants to connect to themselves and, um, is experiencing some level of grief. What would you say is uh, a question or something you can offer for them? Because I know a lot of people, maybe they're going through some sort of loss. Maybe they are realizing in this conversation, they need to let go of a relationship. Like how do you recommend people navigate grief in the best possible way? Um, so if you have just gone through a loss, I would, I mean, we talked about a lot of different things. We've talked today about feeling your feelings, being kind to yourself, um, begin asking yourself what you need and then giving it to yourself. Another big one is writing a closure letter. Um, and what this can look like is it it takes a lot of energy. So just as a disclaimer, it's a lot, um, and you kind of have to be ready for it, but, just writing down, you know, if it's, if you're breaking up with someone, if you just broke up with someone, for example, is writing down all your memories with them in chronological order. And then from there, categorizing those memories into four different categories. So the first one would be what you forgive, um, what you take responsibility for, um, what you appreciated in the relationship, and what you need to let them know. And then at the end, you write goodbye to that person and you do not send them this letter. This is 100% for you. Um, Sometimes when we send the letter, then it becomes all about making a point to them. It's not about them. It's this is about you getting the closure that you needed from the relationship. So, yeah, I would I would recommend that as sort of like a grief exercise. I love that. That's so good, Nick. And you've never actually mentioned this to me. I feel like you mentioned something of this light, but I've not heard that exactly. So that's great. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know, like, are there any questions you have for me as we're just jamming on this topic, Nick? Because I feel like I asked you everything that was on my mind with it. Yeah. Um, I think I, I'm curious to know from you, like how you think shame plays a role in someone's smallness and how to kind of maybe bounce out of the shame or get out of that shame mentality because I think shame can breed a lot of smallness for people. I'm small. I'm smiling, Nick, because I feel like you've told me I'm pretty shameless. Like, <laughs> so I'm like, uh, what, what about that? No, but seriously, like, um, I would say, um, To me, when somebody's operating in shame, they're operating under the belief that if they share some part of themselves, that there's inherently something wrong with them. And 
it's almost like they're in the belief that this issue is only them and not part of most other human experiences. Right. Um, and there's a loneliness to that. So I would say anyone who's feeling shame would have to look at what are they believing about themselves is wrong and how can they forgive themselves for those limitations? And one way to to do that or set yourself free of that is probably to take a look at all the evidence in the world of other people who are facing the same thing or cultivating a sense of community of other people who have faced that or reading a book to create that sense of comfort and understanding it starts with being able to have the conversation though. You know, it's like so many people walk around with shame and they never release it because they never step into the truth that they have to face it. They have to share it with somebody um, for it to really exist beyond them. And that's the beginning of the healing. I think for me, like you've made so many jokes and it feels so true. Like I kind of came out of the womb in some sense, shameless. Like I was just like, whatever, I'm just going to be me, you know, and I'm definitely not confident across the board on everything. Like I'm not confident with fitness, for example, like I'll go to the gym and be like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like this looks crazy. Um, or like a fitness class, you know, like it's really dark to watch what happens to me in those even darker. If we watch you, Nick, let's be honest. Yeah, sure, that's, I was waiting for that. <laughs> You know, if anybody wants to see something interesting, invite Nick to Soul Cycle. You'll never forget oh it. God. It's really, really something. I worked out the other day, Nick, and I was like, oh, I should invite Nick to Soul Cycle. Then I was like, wait a minute, I don't no, want to put myself through watching idea. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like, I think also for me with shame, I have found that the more I'm willing to name it and own it, the sooner I see it as a filtering system. So if there's something I'm uncomfortable with or not proud of, like, for example, when I lost all my money, I wasn't proud because I've grown up around personal development where people say, you are the people you surround yourself with. And I thought, oh my gosh, all of my friends are so wealthy and successful. I lost $5 million. Am I downing their success average by being around them? Mm, um, wow. And But yeah, so that was like a shame story that I had when I lost all my money. And you were never somebody that I felt that with for so many different reasons. But I went over to my friends and owned it and named it and said, hey, there's a part of me that's afraid that you're not going to want to connect with me as much because I made this mistake. Yeah. Like I'm, you know, maybe going to hurt your consciousness or your mindset because of these choices I've made. Like, is that true? And a lot of people as, like, as a result, I actually saw you overcompensate. So that was really interesting. Ooh, tell me more. Like you were, you were in the shame and you were just like so quick to when you were feeling that and you were feeling that smallness around your friends of like, let me do this for them. Let me do that for them. And like, yeah, hundred percent. You would just like, you wouldn't even check in with yourself about like, Oh, do I actually want to do this right now? Do I actually want to hear this right now? Do I actually want to, you know, be a part of this experience? And it, it was, I think people do that when they're in shame or when they're in their smallness, it's a big sign is like taking, like for me, it looked like over accountability, like taking responsibility for, you know, my, my partner just not showing up the way that I needed him to. And I think for you, it looked like sometimes overcompensating, like, let me give, give, give all this stuff so that this, you know, they stay or that I add value or that the friendship continues, you know? Totally. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And, you know, I, I think that 
I have hit a maximum. And I think what I noticed is that the busier I get with my work and the more invested I get in what I'm up to. Um, so like I start to feel better in my body, like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm working on this poetry book. I feel so good about it, or whatever. And that yeah. the more I'm flooded with those feelings of goodness, the more I feel sensitive to what doesn't feel good. So I think usually if somebody has a lot of shame or a lot of disconnect from you know, sharing it or even noticing it. It's like, do something that makes you feel good and you'll quickly notice where you don't, you know? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, I would so say true. That. I have one more question for you. Yeah. Talk to me, Nick. What are some, like, what are maybe your top three takeaways or lessons that you got from, you know, ending a relationship or ending that relationship specifically where you called off your wedding as well? gosh, top three things I learned. Number one is like the signs are already there. I feel like the reasons that I ended the relationship five years in, I already noticed a year in and I was too scared to, to notice, to let myself fully soak in what I was noticing. So I think the hack is like, it's, it's all like ripping a bandaid and you know, I've talked about it this way, Nick, where it's like, it's going to hurt no matter what. So do you want to get the hurt process started so that you can start living sooner? And so what I've learned is like, welcome the hurt if it's going to happen anyway. For some reason, people buy into this delusion that if they don't face it, it's just not happening or it will stop happening. But usually it's like a toothache in relationships. Like that area of difference between you, that toothache is only going to get worse and you don't want to get the whole tooth pulled, you know? So it's, I think another thing with... But I think it's also important, Ash, to like hit... Some like you've said before, like some people have to hit their rock bottom. They have to hit that point of like, oh, I I think everyone says it. Like I saw all the signs all along or early on, but everyone has a process uh, at which until they're yes. like, okay, this is enough, and this is not what I want to be doing anymore. Yeah, you know? and and I think that that comes down to your pain tolerance and your needs. Like with you, Nick, I've seen different levels of pain tolerance. So like. Sometimes I'll see you have like low tolerance for pain, meaning like, oh, if this hurts, I'm out. And then I've seen you have higher tolerances in other areas where you're like willing to suffer for a while until you've hit the bottom of what you're willing to do. I think everybody has that. Like I definitely have that um, where it's like, okay, in my romantic relationship, I actually have a medium threshold for pain. Like if it's too painful, I need to go. Um, and I think that comes from my life experiences. Like I dated too many people that weren't good for me and now I'm done. Like I've had the experience, I've learned the lesson. Um, whereas with my career, I have a lower threshold now. And I think that's also from my experiences. Like if I don't feel good about it, I don't want to do it. Like I don't have a very high threshold for pain. I'm not really willing to suffer for that long. Um, so I think a good question for anybody listening is to figure out like, look at your, your professional life, look at your career, look at your relationship, look at your family, look at yourself, look at your fitness. Like what is your threshold for pain? One to 10, like 10 is like, you're willing to put up with a ton of shit for the sake of something great with it, or just for the sake of having answers about it, you know? And I'm just like making this up now, but I think that there's something to it because a lot of people aren't paying attention to what their threshold is. And it's good to know like, oh, I have a really high threshold for pain and dating. I'm willing to put up with a ton of pain. And and, and is that working for me? Like, do I want that to continue to be the bar that I'm holding? You know, and, and there's no wrong answer. Yeah, I think it depends on your values. So mm -hmm. I know for you, for example, like you value ease yeah. more than a lot of other people. So your pain threshold in certain areas is going to be lower because you I mean ease is not pain is not ease. Yeah. Um, 
So it depends on the values as well. And it depends on how many of your other needs are being met in that situation. Yeah. Um, I think there's also like a ton of like, it feels kind of like bullshit, Nick, in personal development where people are like, pain is growth. And I think people misunderstand mm -hmm. that. Like, yeah, you do happen to grow when you face pain, but there's a lot of other graceful ways to grow. Mm -hmm. Like, totally. you know, and 100%. pain doesn't have to be so visceral that your whole body is just like breaking down and your emotionality is like out the window, you know, like, yes, um, a thousand percent. And I also think when you're saying like ease, it's like, I think some people could think like when they're listening to us, like, yeah, of course I value ease, but it's like, but do you though? Look at the results you're creating in your life. Is your career easy? Are your friendships easy? Is your relationship easy? Is your fitness easy? If it's not, and you're doing it anyway, is it because you don't value ease or is it because you don't believe it's possible? That has to be with beliefs, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, Nick, mm -hmm. people don't ever ask me questions on these podcasts. I'm like, <laughs> hit me the fuck up. Let me take over this whole thing. Well, you were also mentioning a couple other things that you learned from calling off the wedding. Oh, yeah. So I would say usually the first thing, if I could have one line of a bio for the world to know, it's you already know. That would be my mm -hmm. one sentence. Like you already know everything. Um, so I already knew it wasn't right and just didn't want it to be true. Um, I think I masked it in the story that I didn't know when really I just didn't like that I knew. I think the second thing was masculine and feminine energy. Like you know, masculine energy moves forward. Feminine energy is everything else. It's the space. Um, mm -hmm. it's receiving it's, and, and when I think about who I was in that connection, if, if it's a dance, like there's something about my dynamic with him where he was more in feminine energy, like more in relaxing and more in, um, letting things happen that I felt like I had to make things happen. So the dynamic we had, I was in a masculine energy and I realized I don't want to live in that energy in my partnership. Yeah. So you weren't being who you wanted to be. I wasn't being who I wanted to be, which goes back to your point of making a list. And those of you who didn't write that down, it's such a good tip from Nick, making a list of all the qualities you want to embody at your best. And then looking at the qualities of a person that brings that out for you. Mm -hmm. um, so the moment that I stopped dating him, I stepped into so much more femininity, like allowing and curiosity and peace and receptivity and stillness versus like doing and pushing and making happen and handling, mm -hmm. um, was not the look I'm going for. Yeah. And what's the third thing I probably learned? Um, I think just face the truth. Like you already know and do something about it. Like your life is going to be so much, your life, the quality of anybody who who is listening to this right now, the quality of your life, I think is directly related to how quickly you're willing to honor the truth. You know, it's like, okay, you can either spend the next like two years just playing this out, or you can be like, the truth is the fucking truth. And I see it. And now it's time more than any time, because I don't want to spend another year dancing with the truth and denying mm -hmm. it. So I've become a lot quicker in accepting what is. I've become a lot more sensitive to what feels good and what doesn't because of it. And I also think I've, you know, like this weekend I called you, Nick, and I was in a tiff with William, the boyfriend, about uh, our living situation. And it was like, I'm, I'm um, also aware of who the right person is for me. And I have a lot more of a threshold for navigating challenges when I feel like something is right, but it wasn't, I wasn't able to access that until I was willing to face what's wrong. And for me, um, so I would say facing the truth is everything. Yeah. hundred percent. Who you are always wins. As you say, Ash, isn't that the <laughs> best Nick? 
Mm-hmm. It's so true. Who you are always wins. Um, anything you want to leave everybody on a note with, and anybody who's listening, um, Nicole is on Instagram at, at therapy by Nicole. Um, she posts really cool quotes and um, she posts her events sometimes. So, you know, if you're a fellow white girl like me, you want to go to her events, she'll oh put, put it out there. Um, <laughs> Nick, talk to me about where you'd want everybody to find you or what you have going on. Yeah, you can also find me um, at my website at www.nicolenaparvar.com. And, you know, if you want to meet for a consultation or, um, you know, I have some spots right now in my private practice, so I'm happy to chat with you and see if this would be a fit. And, yeah, that's that's me. That's where you can find me. Thank, Thank you, you, Ash. Nick. I love you, my I little you. treat. <laughs> I love you, too. <laughs> Hey friends, it's Ash here, and I am reflecting on the episode with my very best friend, Nick Naupavar, Nicole, um, a therapist based in LA. I know she has clients everywhere. And one of the things that really came up for me was just listening to her talk about like really knowing what you want and then being able to ask for it. And I think sometimes knowing what you want comes down to knowing who you are. Like, because when you know who you are, you know what's going to make you happy. And from there, you can decide what you want. And What I found is that it really, this piece of knowing who you are is where I see a lot of people stuck. And it's really what drove me to wrote my book for U-Turn or called U-Turn. And, and it's just really something that's inspired me to write this book because if I'm being totally candid, I would say most people I come across don't know who they are. Or the reality is that we never fully know who we are, that life is a journey. And part of this journey is constantly trying different things on, evolving and with our evolution, having new desires, new needs, new wishes, new hopes, new dreams. So how do you figure out who you are and what are some indicators that you don't know who you are? Um, Some people don't know who they are and they don't even realize that they don't know it. Um, I actually had a scenario recently and it feels kind of vulnerable to share this, but I think it might be helpful. Uh, I had a really good friend and I love her a lot and she uh, it definitely wasn't Nick because that would be so funny. Nick would kill me. She's like, really, Ashley, you're putting our issues at the end of your episode. <laughs> That's probably happened before where she's somebody's texted me a friend been like, why are you talking about me on your podcast, girl? But anyway, um, you know, I had a really good friend and, I, and we're still really good friends, but every time we would have a conversation or we would go deep about something in their lives, I would go on Instagram and see that they would post about it and talk a lot about it. And, uh, it, it didn't really bother me, but I felt like, man, I don't feel as safe talking to them because sometimes our conversations are idea generators for their business versus just a conversation between two friends. And so I kind of struggled with like accepting that, like accepting the fact that sometimes a conversation is going to be a business builder for her, not just a conversation. Um, the next step was, um, there's certain ways that I talk like funny little things I'll say, and I don't even notice that they're funny, but people like Nicole will be like, that's really funny that you talk like that. And little expressions, I don't know, like my snack accident thing. Like if you follow me on Instagram, you see me sometimes eating a piece of cake and being like, oh no, it's a snack accident. I guess that would be considered one of them. Um, and sometimes I would notice that she would laugh at something I would say, and then she would repeat it, like be like almost like a parrot, but she would, you know, whether she would speak on stages or she would do Instagram, whatever, I would see it show up as a way that she would talk to the world. Um, and then there was, I, I don't really care if people wear the same clothes as me, but 
there was a couple items of clothing that really aligned with my creative expression. Like there was something funny about it or unique about it, or I found it somewhere special and uh, people used to laugh at it or talk about it or whatever. And I remember she uh, purchased some of those clothing and it was so funny because I was like, gosh, I remember calling Nick and being like, why am I being so petty about this? Like, why do I care so much about this and feel so triggered that somebody's copying me. Like who cares? It's a piece of clothing. It's like something that I say, like who cares? And I realized that in a world of business and in a world of many people on my side, my creative expression is all I really have. Like I don't identify as a businesswoman as much as I do like a poet or an artist or a writer. Um, and, and it's all just identities that are made up anyway, but that, that's what I resonate with. And so when somebody takes something I say and repeats it in the world, I'm like, oh, wow, it feels like a little part of me. That's all I have. My expression has been cheapened or watered down or taken. Um, so that's the first thing. And as a result, I don't feel as emotionally safe with that person's share because I don't know what their agenda is or what they're going to do with it. And when I really zoomed out of this situation, I talked to my friend about it and she totally understood me because she's such a beautiful human. But when I zoomed out of it, what I realized was that when somebody is taking, uh, copying people or parroting people or mimicking people, usually it's because they don't have that sense of self or that sense of creativity or that sense of innovation, um, or they're not rooted in that sense of who they are. Um, and, you know, the concept of figuring out who you are it's like we're a work in progress in some areas and we're solidified in others. Like I knew who I, I know who I am in my relationship, but I don't always know who I am perhaps in my career or in my family unit or um, there's different layers of knowing who you are. Just like there's different shades of yes. Like yes isn't black or white. There's many gray colors of yes. Same with no. And so I think um, when I was realizing my friend who was copying me, she just didn't know who she was in her business. And as a result, she was getting inspiration from me. And, um, and I think that that shifted me into compassion of realizing that when you don't feel emotionally safe with somebody because they're going to copy you or you feel like they're going to take something you have and run with it, um, that's just rooted in being connected to somebody who maybe you're sensing they don't know who they are in some area and you're not feeling emotionally safe with them because you think that they're going to do something with you that or capture something from you um, and make it a part of who they are or the quilt that they're building of their identity. Um, and I just want to offer you this story because it was really deep for me to realize that I didn't feel safe with my friend and it wasn't about her copying me. It was about her not knowing who she was and me in the connection feeling like a lack of, of safety or, or connectivity. And I think my work is to have compassion for her, uh, understanding that she probably knows who she is in a lot of other areas of her life and her work is an area that she's calibrating and as we all do. And so I think uh, my question for you is, where are you still figuring out who you are? Um, because if you're still figuring out who you are, maybe in your relationship or in your family dynamic, you're probably still figuring out what you need and how to ask, let alone let alone ask for what you need. And I've noticed that a lot of friends that I don't feel as safe with or connected to sharing myself with, it's because I don't feel like they have that sense of self perhaps, or maybe it's all a projection and there's an area for me to anchor more into my own sense of self. So just some random thoughts for you. Um, Nick is, you know, being my best, best friend. I thought, you know what, fuck it. I'm just going to share something that's going on in my friendships right now that I'm learning from. And I hope it is in service to you and whoever's meant to hear it will. And um, I would love 
for you to tag Nick and I. Let us know what you thought of the episode, what you learned from it, what you're changing because of it at Therapy by Nicole or at Ashley Stahl. Uh, again, that's at Therapy by Nicole or at Ashley Stahl. Um, and yeah, I encourage you to reach out to her if you need a therapist or you're ready to work on yourself in LA um, or even elsewhere. I know that she has clients all over the world. So sending you lots of love. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you have a beautiful week. Thanks again for tuning into this week's episode of the U-Turn Podcast. We keep really detailed show notes at U-TurnPodcast.com. So if our guest mentioned a book or a resource that you're interested in, you'll be able to find that there. In the meantime, if you were inspired by this episode, if it made an impact in your life, we would be so grateful if you subscribed and posted a review for us on iTunes. Rumor has down the street, the more reviews we get, the more subscribes we get, the more we can grow and get our impact out there in the world. In the meantime, I'd love to hear from you at Ashley Stahl on Instagram. I'm so grateful for connecting and I look forward to next week's episode. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox or wherever you listen to your podcasts.